Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you today. Uh, thanks for coming out and being with us. Today, we're going to be, again, in the, as if you didn't hear the music and see the whole intro there, we're going to be back in our, in our Acts series. Um, have you been enjoying the Acts series? Hopefully, it's been, again, we're year three now, so if you haven't been, you've been faking it pretty well, and I appreciate that, but, um, but we are in it, and you know, we're going to be getting through a lot of it again this summer. Uh, through the rest of the summer, we'll be in it, and then we're actually going to finish up, so it's going to take us, have taken us four summers to uh, get through Acts, but you know, we don't want to rush through. And today, we're going to be, uh, again, springboarding off of last week, if you were here last week. Uh, again, it, it, the, I think the title, I don't know, all I remember is it was, it's grace, silly, as we said, as Pastor Santiago shared that, that, you know, salvation comes down to, it's the grace of God. It's not something that we can do. And today we're going to be a continuation. As you remember, in Jerusalem, they had this meeting and they made this decision about the Gentiles, and now they're going to actually deliver the news and carry it out. And so that's where we are in Acts 15. Um, also, some of you have asked or mentioned, and I also want to encourage you, one of the reasons why we are in a book series, and we want to remind you that, again, you know, read ahead. You're, open your Bibles at home, right? That's what I, I know, I hope you all do, um, and read in Acts 15 and, and go in a few chapters ahead so you know what's coming and your heart is prepared, and, and when you get here on Sunday morning, you'll be blessed. But as all of us know, in a, in a church or in really in any group, or even if there's just two people gathered, um, there's a potential for disagreement. Is that a surprise to anyone here? Um, I have here people disagree. Don't you agree? <laughs> Thank you. That was good. Um, that somebody wrote this once about John Wesley. I want to share it with you. They wrote this. They said, being much concerned about the rise of denominations in the church, John Wesley tells of a dream he had. In the dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell. There he asked, are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, came the answer. Then he asked, are there any Baptists, any Episcopalians, any Methodists? The answer was yes, each time. Much distressed, Wesley was then ushered to the gates of heaven. There he asked the same question, and the answer was no. No, to this Wesley asked, who then is inside? And the answer came back, there are only Christians here. And, you know, today and again in our, especially in our society here, Western civilization, I mean, I actually have no clue how many denominations there actually are uh, because it just seems like every, all the time, a new one splinters off for whatever little reason. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 1.10, the Apostle Paul wrote in this letter to the church in Corinth, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And again, all throughout Scripture, we see that, and, and again, we've preached it really hard here as well about unity and how vital it is to the church. You know, this word division, it, it's, it's pretty harsh. You know, I don't, you know, I mean, maybe outside of football, football, you know, there's different divisions. That's maybe okay, but, but division within the church is not, not okay. And, you know, this is... Something I think that we seem to have done is, is we've replaced that word division for denomination or with denomination. While I believe that, you know, there are many um, op opportunities for us to walk hand in hand with different denominations and they can do that together. But sadly, there's been more walls built, I think, than bridges between denominations. And oftentimes it comes back to this place of division where somebody didn't like something, 
or a group of people that like something, and they said, so we're going to go start our own thing, right? And, you know, today we want to look at the way that uh, the early church, as we're looking, and this is, again, the beautiful thing about Acts, it's the early church. As the church was being formed, as it was being shaped, we see how they handled some of these challenges. And division was a big part. And here we have, we have in front of us this opportunity, not a good one, but there could have been a huge rift within the early church right at the get-go with the Gentiles. And so, you know, we saw last week kind of how that discussion went, how they, they handled it. And again, the delivery of it today we're going to get into but the big thing I want you to, to understand today is it's, it was through the Holy Spirit's leading that the early church sought what I call Christian freedom, right? Christian freedom. And that freedom is ultimately what brought reconciliation across division within the church at that time. Just in our Next Steps class, we were actually just talking about this today, about freedom. You know, a lot of people look at Christianity and they think of it as something like, I don't want to do that because then it's a list of don'ts that I have to follow, but as those of you who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and have walked an authentic faith in Christ, you realize that we gain a freedom like we've never had before. Freedom from condemnation, freedom from all these things, even from sin, not that we don't make mistakes, not that we don't sin, but that there is deliverance, there is a, there's an opportunity to be set free from something. We don't have to be in bondage anymore. Satan has no more legal right to us because we have been bought and purchased through the blood of Christ. And so, again, there's a freedom that comes, you know, again, Christian freedom. And this is something that, that the early church here, we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 here, that is dealing with, and, and you know, it's, it's really talking about what is permissible versus what is required, right? And they, they kind of break it down here as you're going to see this, there's these few things, and you're going to see why as we get further into the message this morning, but there are many things that are permissible within the Christian faith. There are many places that we can even have disagreement, yet still be together and bound by the things that are essential. All right? And let me just give this disclaimer. I think I have it in my notes to give it somewhere else as well, but I'm going to do it at the front. Like, all that we're going to talk about today, this is not referring to those things that are essential. Let me be clear. Okay? There are some churches out there that are pretty wonky. They've gotten... That's a real word, by the way. They've gotten far off the path. They've, they've pursued something, and I'm not talking about those types of things. But I'm talking about we are agreed upon, and we will, so to speak, die on that hill of those things that are essential. But there are a lot of things that really we can extend grace and give space for one another. All right? So you all with me? All right? So put your phones away, your email to me. Just delete it. We're good. All right. So, as we are prepared, we're going to jump in in verse 22 of chapter 15. And, you know, I don't want us, what I don't want us to do is to approach today as, as something that's kind of a, a rehashing of last week, because it's going to repeat some things that were decided, because basically a letter is being sent, and they're going to go through, and you're, you're going to hear the letter, which just kind of recounts what happened. But the carrying out and, and delivery of this message, I think, is really what we want to dial in on. So, so please stay with me and don't say, well, I'll just go listen to last week's message. I'm going to take a nap today. Um, but stay with me because I think there's some really important truths that we can pull out of this. So in Acts 15, uh, beginning in verse 22, again, just a reminder, if you weren't here last week, 
you know, the council in Jerusalem were, had met to talk about the Gentiles and what to do. And, you know, the Gentiles, there were, there were some Jewish folks within their circles in, in Antioch, especially, that were trying to impose certain things on them that were more Jewish than Christian. And so there was this question on what, what should the Gentiles do or what should we do here, what's, what's permissible. And so we'll jump in with that in our, in our minds. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, uh, greetings. And so again, this is a common opening here. You know, they're identifying who's sending it, the brothers, or again, the brothers, the apostles and the elders, but they're going to the brothers of the Gentiles in these cities. And so this is a common opening, and again, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit later as well. Verse 24, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to, lay, and, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what uh, has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to stand in this pulpit and to preach your word. God, I pray that our hearts are open to receive. Uh, God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we do have your word. Uh, we know in many places where uh, the scriptures are not readily available like they are here and so, God, we are grateful for that. And so, Lord, please teach us this morning uh, what you would have for us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So as we can see, again, division in the church, it was a problem from the very beginning. You know, you don't have to go far. Like I said, I mean, it could, you, all you need is two people, and there can be division. Because you have two different personalities, you have two different viewpoints, and so again, the church has, is at this crossroad, really, in trying to deal with this very thing. I mean, if you've ever stopped to think about how long Christianity has been on the earth, right? For a minute, right? It's been here for a minute, and you, you think of the many cultural landscapes and the time periods it's functioned, and it's, it's pretty staggering to think about this, this same uh, faith in Christ Jesus and, and how it plays out in many different cultures in many parts of the world. How many, you know, you don't have to watch a TV show or watch it somehow to know that, that it probably looks different in different places. Once again, we talk about the things that are essential, that we're united on, but again, Christianity looks different and it is functioning in many different places and times. You know, while the church has oftentimes in those settings, moved against pre-existing divisions, like even within culture, and it stood up for the marginalized and the outcasts, but sadly, it is also, there have been times that it has participated in those divisions, and in some cases, were the very cause. You know, when we look back through the history of Christianity, 
Again, there were some times and some places that it wasn't the prettiest picture, was it? And I would say, at least, you know, it, maybe it wasn't authentic Christianity. I think, you know, sometimes man gets, gets their hands, our hands on that, and, and we make it something that it was never intended. You know, you think of the crusades and things like that and all the things done in the name of, of God or the Lord. And so, you know, it, it's part of the history, though. It's, it's part of what's happened and seeing through the times and the things, you know, that have taken place like that. Here in the United States, um, again, we, we are all familiar with this uh, back in, in, in just not long ago, really. Um, there was racial segregation of churches, and they both followed the cultural pattern as well as contributed to the larger problem. It was only just, I guess, 60 years now that Martin Luther King Jr., he stated this, that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And, you know, you, you stop and you think about that. And, and you know, I think that a lot, of, a lot of people in that time, they really, you know, they may have been Christians, but they thought they were doing the right thing. <laughs> they, were, they were blinded by culture. And if nothing else, I want you to hear this from that, you know, some of our history as a nation is that it's, it's very easy to be misled by culture. And, I, you know, I know that at times we, we can maybe kind of think like, well, I would never do that. I would never go down that road or I would never be part of that group. But sometimes even things that seem right may be removed, far removed from actually the essence of what the Christian faith is and what's even what Scripture says. And so we really need to understand that and we need to look at that. And, you know, there are probably a, a, actually a number of you who may even remember some of those times. And so, you know, that's not something that we just erase and forget. But we need to remember and, and learn from that, don't we? While the church in America has come light years from drawing racial lines of segregation, the church, capital C Church as a whole, still has managed to find many other places to create even divisions within itself. And again, coming back to the, the whole thing of denominations. You know, here at Long Grove Community Church, we're a non-denominational church. And I'll tell you this, too. Overseas, you know, one of the beautiful things was you don't have a lot of... Um, you have denominations there, but those denominational walls, they get pretty short pretty quick. <laughs> Because you're just looking for somebody like, you know, do you agree on these five things? Okay, then we can, we can get along. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, he died, rose again. Okay. And it's, it's beautiful, you know, because you let some of that other stuff fade. Because, you know, you don't have 50 flavors of Christianity there. And so, you know, again, understanding that segregation can happen over some of the silliest things, Right? I mean, the, the, sorry, you know, not segregation, but this, this, this splitting and, and even finding division within the church. And as I stated earlier, we're not talking about the essential things. But oftentimes, again, these divisions, these divisions in the church, they appear over seemingly small things. And here, here are a few. There's actually 25. I'm not going to read all 25 to you. But let's just walk through and see if, um, and again, if this is you, just keep looking at me, right? <laughs> Don't. So here, these, are, these are actually from the Christian Post, the, the, the magazine, and, and they, they shared this article. So these are legit. So here we go. Like literally caused church division. One was argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. 
Yeah, that's why I'm growing mine back. So Luke, there's no question. You know, mine has to be. If, mine, if it's shorter than the pastor's, he's good to go, right? You can't, can't get them. Church split over that. Okay. How about this? A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. We got both, right? We dodged that one. It worked out. It's one of the reasons why I took the job. I'm like, okay, that won't be an issue. So here's another one. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. I've never seen Luke's feet, I don't think. I mean, maybe they're nice. I don't know. But, you know, would that be okay with you? I guess it depends on the length of his toenails, right? So uh, how about this one? A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. We're laughing, right? But it's real stories. I've been like, I, I don't know what to laugh or to cry. It's, I'm like stuck in between. These are true. Here's one. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend, and members left the church in the latter example just because they moved to a stronger blend of coffee. We have both here. And if we don't have it, let us know. We'll get it for you, okay? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Here's one. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Yeah? I love deviled eggs, by the way. I mean, call them whatever you want, but a couple more, a couple more. <laughs> this one. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Okay, one more, one more. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. Sorry, I'm not going to make eye contact with any of you. We're not judging you. <laughs> Next week you can attend online, I guess. I don't know. But, but it's crazy. Is this crazy? But people left churches over these simple, funny things, right? You say you can't, we can't, I would never do, like, people do it. People do it. You know, again, there is something over that happens in churches. And again, we have things that maybe our own personal convictions, we have things that we think may be right, but we always have to be weighing that against Scripture. We always have to be weighing that to, is this something essential? Is this a hill, as we say, to die on? And oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it's not. I was uh, talking to a, a family member of mine, and they, they're in a small church, and he's, it was him and a couple other guys started this small uh, fellowship of people, and they're in, they're in this big dispute right now. Right? And they, they came out of um, uh, a oneness Pentecostal background, and uh, the, the big dispute right now, because they're now a non-denominational church, but one of the leaders in that church, um, the spouse, the wife, still wants to hold on to that women should wear skirts. And they're literally struggling right now to figure out how this, this is going to be divided. Like, it seems at this point there's not going to be able to be reconciliation. And they brought something from over here into what was now that is not essential in Scripture, right? 
And again, there's people, you know, and if, if there's modest, whatever you want to label it as, and that's for you, then okay. But, but is that a hill for us to die on? And they're actually going to leave the church, and they're going to divide this church, and they're causing all kinds of problems, and they're trying to figure out how to walk this out. Over that, it's, it's, it's something, and, and, and the reason I'm just kind of hitting this over and over again is I don't want you to ever think that you're beyond doing that, right? That I'm beyond doing that. I like my way, I assure you. <laughs> there are things that I like, but I always have to be weighing it out. Is this what scripture says? Is this something essential to the Christian faith? And that's what I love about today's passage that we're reading is that this decision comes from Jerusalem and it left room for the Gentiles to still be Gentiles. It left room for them to still be Gentiles. Again, while the, the council in Jerusalem made this important statement about salvation by grace through faith, it also left room for them uh, for unity and diversity in the early church. It made clear that the Gentiles did not have to become Jewish to be part of the people of God, but it also maintained some prohibitions that would make it possible for, listen, genuine fellowship between Jewish and Gentile Christians. So again, a couple things going on there. One is it, again, gave them the, the right, or not the right, but the space to still have their culture. And I'll tell you this, this is one of the greatest mistakes that missionaries make, uh, especially in, in like Muslim worlds or Muslim countries, because a lot of those Things within the Muslim faith, I would say, and again, hear what I'm saying, a lot of it's cultural. It's not wrong in and of itself. Is it wrong to pray five times a day? No. Is it wrong to go somewhere to worship, you know, of whatever, however many times a day? All these, a lot of these things are not wrong, what you wear and all these things of themselves. And what happens, and the mistake that's made is a lot of times people try to pull the Muslim out, basically rip the culture out of the Muslim, right? It's right to get them pointed to, to the right God, to the truth, but not rip their culture away from them at the same time. And this is a stumbling block a lot of times. And it's wrong. And that's, again, if they would go back here and look at this, this is like, there's room for the cultural side, right? You want them to stay in their culture. And again, we're gonna talk about that a little more in a second. But that's, that's one thing. And then the other part of this statement that I just made is, listen, if those, those four little things that they put on there, I mean, sexual immorality is not a little, but it's but the other parts too. You're like, well, why couldn't they, you know, have this eat this animal or whatever? Because they're looking to bring fellowship with their Jewish brothers and sisters, and so to maintain that unity, they're like, okay, listen, this, let's boil down. If you can just do the, these couple things in grace, not that you, do, you you have to, or you know, if you do this, you're wrong. But to maintain fellowship with the Jewish people around you, then we can we can agree on this. And we can bring unity to this situation. And so again, it's, it's, it's beautiful what they're doing. You know, they've extended their hand and they've, they've cleared all this junk out of the way. Like, no. Can I tell you something today? The gospel message is not complicated. It's not. And we are wrong when we start to heap other things on top. It's not the gospel in anything, is it? That's it. It's the gospel. Plain and simple. It's pure. A missiologist named David W. Smith, he says, he points out that there is clear distinction in the New Testament between proselytizing and conversion. The former existed before the coming of Christ and was the means by which Gentile inquirers were incorporated within the people of Israel. 
They were circumcised, baptized in water, and taught the Torah. In other words, they became to all appearances Jewish. And again, <laughs> the Gentiles at that, that, that were in this part of it, but not until this point, you know, they, they had to become circumcised. They were you know, having to do all these things that were specific to Jewish, to Judaism, right? And now, again, we're, they're saying, no, you stay as a Gentile, and you can do that, and, and, and you can walk in, in communion with one another in that setting, but still be in that culture. I mean, because the early church it faced a massive influx of Gentiles, and, and again, they, if they hadn't followed this pattern, if they, if they hadn't changed and walked out the way they did, it would have been catastrophic. In other words, apostolic Christianity did not demand conformity to a single cultural pattern, but accepted a valid cultural pluralism from the start. And this was revolutionary. <laughs> you think about it. It was revolutionary for that time. You would not see this, have seen this before that. And that's the beauty, because what would they do in Jerusalem? The council gathered, they sought God, and they were led by the Holy Spirit to, to come to this conclusion and to, to boldly come to this. You see, the best people to reach blank, whatever that is, whatever country, whatever people group, are the people from blank, from that place. You understand? You know, one of the um, things in, over when we were in Kuwait, again, the beauty of, of being there is, is that it was a melting pot of culture. And we would get people from literally all over the world. I mentioned, you know, we had 20, 25 plus nationalities in our church and we would get them for a few years, but then what the beauty was, I mean, it was sad to see people leave, but they go back to their home countries and they carry the gospel and they go places I could never have gone, you could never have gone. And who do you think could better relate? <laughs> if I parachuted in from a Western culture living in America into like Bangladesh or something like that, and do you think I can relate to those people the same way somebody from Bangladesh can? I, I couldn't even speak the language, first of all and I wouldn't have any understanding of the culture. And so, you know, it's nothing against people that feel called or are called to, to missions and to go overseas, that's nothing against them. But the best missionaries, what they do is they get on the ground, they train up local people and empower those local people to go out and reach the lost. It's so important and what would happen if it was the philosophy to go in and convert them to Western culture, Western mindset? Right? Again, you know, you could have a, a, a person from Africa that's raised in the States, maybe of African descent, it's gonna be very different than an African that's raised in Africa, right? They look the same, but they're very different. Even my kids, my, 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 especially my older two boys, they spent, you know, almost 10 years of their life living in the Middle East. They look and they are American, but they're thinking in the way they're wired and what they've, through their experiences, it's sometimes hard to relate here in America because they grew up on the other side of the world. We have the privilege to partner, one of the, the missions we partner with is, is uh, one called Africans Reaching Africans. And when I got to meet them and, and hear about their ministry, that's what struck for me was like, wow, so you're, you're raising up Africans from Africa that are going and they're reaching Africans. 
That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. So again, you know, it's, it's understanding this and seeing all of this and how it comes together and the grace, is, as we said last week, you know, it comes down to grace. That's, that's where salvation comes in. So let's, we got one more part here to cover today that I want to get to, and that's, uh, let's jump back into Acts 15, beginning in verse 30. And so now they've, they've gotten ready, and so they go. And so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You know, something I want to, again, where I want us to drill in on this today or this, this, this portion is simply because, you know, it really shows us when there's something important that we have to address, we really need to practice going and communicating face-to-face, <laughs> right? Listen, they could have written a letter and sent it with somebody and just say, hey, can you go deliver us? This, this letter is from us. It represents what we think. And just go drop it off, you know, and come back. But instead, they, they kind of bring in the heavy hitters, don't they? They send these, these guys, these brothers, you know, in the faith to to Antioch. Because they, the apostles in, and elders in Jerusalem, they loved them. They loved the church there. And they showed it through their actions, you know, brothers to brothers, as the, the scripture when we opened up it said, that opening. They recognized the importance of getting this thing right. Because imagine if they had just sent a letter and, and how easy it is to misunderstand or, you know, misinterpret what's written, Right? Easily, offense could have happened and division could have just gone rampant. They knew this was a pivotal moment. This was a critical moment. And they wanted to address the division and ensure there were no miscues. There's an account of J. Edgar Hoover. As many of you know, he ran the FBI for some time and there was no question about it. As a result, almost all of his subordinates were on the lookout for ways to impress their powerful boss. A young FBI man was put in charge of the FBI's supply department. In an effort to cut some costs and impress his boss, he reduced the size of the office memo paper. One of the new memo sheets soon ended up on Hoover's desk. Hoover took one look at it, determined he didn't like the size of the margins on the paper, and quickly scribbled on the memo, watch the borders. The memo was passed on through the office. For the next six weeks, it was extremely difficult to enter the United States by road from either Mexico or Canada. The FBI was watching the borders. Why was the FBI watching the borders? They thought they had received a warning from their chief, but they hadn't. And they had transformed an innoxious comment into a solemn warning. Small misunderstanding. Maybe that's still happening today. I don't know. But it's, uh, it's something, though, right? I mean, think about it. An office notepad, he writes these words, and what, how blown out of proportion it got and how misunderstood. 
Things can be misunderstood quickly. And so, again, this is the picture we see that, that when they had this important information, they did it in person. While they wrote the letter, which was good, and they carried that, they did not just send it along, but they went face to face. And, you know, I want us to understand this and how we can apply this even today <laughs> is, you know, they didn't just send an email or text with this important issue. And oftentimes, I know in our, the day and age that we live and the convenience of it, I mean, has anybody ever fallen victim to this? Where you send something or, you know, you, you whatever, really quick. Maybe it's not even anything really that bad. And then somebody just misunderstands it, right? I remember there was a, a buddy of mine. He had this, uh, it was some important person was coming into town and, you know, and he, he sent, no, actually, no, I know who it was. It was in our meeting. He was talking about this. This important guy was coming to town, and he was supposed to pick him up from the airport, and he, he asked, you know, the guy said whatever, he was going to be running late or something like that, and he, he, um, and he said, is that okay? And then the guy that, uh, I'm pointing at Daryl here, we were talking to about a week ago, he said that uh, he was trying to respond to NP for no problem, and it auto-corrected to no Now, if you didn't have a relationship with somebody and you think of somebody important coming to town and they're like, hey, sorry, running late, whoever that important person is, maybe it's like a governor or somebody important, and, uh, you know, hey, I'm running a little late, hopefully that's not a problem, you know, is it okay? And you write no. <laughs> so fortunately, this person knew enough that was like, hey, was that an autocorrect? <laughs> <laughs> just want to know how I need to feel. <laughs> so let me just check on your response, Right? Autocorrect, man, you know what? I wish they would just do away with autocorrect. I tell you what. And then the times I need it, it doesn't even work, right? Sorry. That's next week's sermon. We'll get to that. But, but listen, what I, what I want you to take away from this, this back half of this is, is this, is that in this church, just so you know, we practice what we call Matthew 18, what it says in Matthew 18. If you have an issue, if you have an offense, anything against somebody, you go to that person, all right, you go to that person. Nine times out of 10, it can probably be resolved, right? Now understand, I mean, if it's something really extreme and difficult, then, you know, that there, and there's provision for that, then maybe, you know, you go with an elder or there's something, but we have to be committed to that with one another. Why? Because division will creep in just ever so slightly. And that's what I was telling my family member. I was like, You've got to cut, this is like a cancer that will just envelop a church in not a long period of time. Division will creep in out of nowhere. And so again, we go to the person. And let me just encourage you with this too. If someone comes to you about someone else, right? Sometimes they say, well, I wanna pray. <laughs> pray for them. I mean, if they're genuine, then great. If they come to you with something of, that they have an offense against somebody, then you need to point that person, just like we said, to go to that person, right? Say, well, you need to go talk to that person. Because I, I know that person's character. I know that they probably didn't mean it that way. Maybe they did, but they probably didn't. And I love this. I, I have uh, one of the elders. I know somebody had come to him, and, and they said, you know, this and that. And they're like, well, listen, I'll, I'll go with you to, to, to that person, right? I'm not going to go for you, but I will go with you. I will accompany you. Listen, if we just follow this church... Just that alone, 
Again, we can be a church that truly walks in unity, unlike a lot of other places, because we resolve things quickly, right? Listen, I know you, but I don't really know you to the depths of your soul, okay? There's just too many of you here. I always believe the best in each and every one of you. I mean, I'm not maybe perfect in that, but I really, I, I, I start with believing the best until I have an opportunity to, to speak to you. And I hear all kinds of stuff, just so you know. Uh, it all comes back. But I always believe the best. And I, I try to, you know, and then when I talk to people who maybe have a, a concern or even a complaint or something, you know, I, let's sit down and talk. And you guys need to do that with one another as well, right? Just don't line up and see me. <laughs> talk to one another. If there's something wrong, then talk about it. Talk through it. Pray about it. It's important. You know, as we prepare to close this morning, I, I want us to really capture the heart of what's happening in, in, in the scripture and in this passage. You know, as we talked about first, that there's freedom. There's, there's freedom within the church. There's freedom within Christianity itself to be you, <laughs> right? Unity, as I've said before, is not uniformity. Be you. Some of you really embrace this well, all right? Be you. And we can walk this out together. And that's the beauty. That's, that's the, the way that this church is supposed to be. You know, I look across this, the, the, the congregation here, and it's just like there's different people from different places and, and different stages of life, and it's awesome. I love it. We have people watching online. I have no idea who's online right now. They could be anybody. They could be watching from the other side of the world if they wanted to. And that's the beauty of, of Christianity. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. You see, our unity was, was already made possible by Christ's death. And so we must always seek unity and reconciliation. And when we do so, we have to make sure that we're communicating clearly. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, he writes, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but I want God to be with me. <laughs> I want God to be with you. I want God to be with us when we gather together as a church. Listen, we cannot do this. What we're, the task before us is, is guaranteed failure if we try to do it without God. But when we walk together in unity and when we, when we have the heart of God, he can work through us and he can do amazing things, even in spite of us sometimes, amen? <laughs> Perhaps you're here to say, today and you say that, I, 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 I don't know, I, it's, it's hard. Maybe there's that big thing that that's, you have with somebody. I wanna read this last, this account before we pray and close this time. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. 
In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. Just put yourself there for a minute, right? Don't let this kind of go in one ear out the other. Just put yourself in that moment. A family member has died because you chose to not conform or go along with things. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. Listen to this. For several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incident, asked the friend who was there, what did you do then? We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong discouragement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Where does it start with here? It starts with me, right? It starts with you. And going to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me, help my heart. This is what I'm feeling. And begin to pray about that. If you're struggling today with that, a relationship with somebody here in the church or, or somebody close to you, start with yourself. Go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to help your heart and help you to see that person with the love that Jesus has. Because the reality is, is prayer changes everything, amen? And don't get me wrong. <laughs> Trust me, it seems like, man, I've been praying about this for a long time or does it really change something? But you would be surprised. You know, that's why it says, you know, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies, right? And as you do so, watch what God does in your heart and the capacity he gives. Would you bow your heads? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message and, and Lord, that you've spoken to us through your word. God, we recognized that we recognize today, Lord, that we need you. God, we recognize that we have so many more things in common with one another than we have differences. And God, even thinking of that list we went through today and, and some of the things, just so silly, but God, it breaks our hearts to think that someone actually left a church over such trivial things. God, may we not be that way. May we not get caught up, Lord, in, in, in things that are, are not essential, Lord, to, to the faith. But also, God, on the other side, and as we read there at the end, that account, as Hitler moved and all these, tried to move all these different uh, denominations, these churches under one umbrella, and those who choose, chose to stand. Let us understand, Lord, that there is a time that we have to stand. There are things that we must stand for, and there are things that we must stand against. But God, may we always, again, be looking at ourselves, at our church, Lord, to seek unity, to seek reconciliation, and God, for those places that it may seem so far and so hard to reach that point, God, may you be the one to give us strength. May you be the one to remove the callous from our heart, Lord God, that we can be sensitive and open, Lord. And Lord, that you would be the one, Lord, to fill our hearts with love for that other person. 
God, my prayer for us today is that we always would start thinking of that other person, Lord, from a place of, of, of believing the best in them and, and believing the best in their character. And God, may we have the boldness, Lord, to go and to, to have that conversation, even if it's challenging. And God, where help is needed, Lord God, I pray that we would reach out to a leader here in the church to go with us. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that there is freedom, Lord, in walking with you. And God, for those who maybe haven't experienced that here today, Lord, I pray that you would move their hearts in that direction. For those of you who profess you as Lord and Savior but have yet to really, truly experience, Lord, how freeing it is, Lord, to walk with you in your love, in your grace, in a relationship. God, may, may we experience that today. God, I thank you for each one here. I pray, Lord, again, just that you've spoken to our hearts. And if there's any area, Lord, today that we're struggling with or we can't quite get to, or that there's a conviction. Again, Lord, conviction is good. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is not. So, Lord, if we are convicted today, I pray that we would bring that to you and that you would work in our hearts. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.